Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government insists its vaccination plan is on track. Yes, there is a temporary disruption because they're, uh, they are improving the, the factory in Belgium that produces our vaccines. But within a few weeks, they'll be sending us more even than the hundreds of thousands we were receiving before. And we will be on track to fulfill all those responsibilities we laid out for Canadians. What are Canada's options after the Keystone cancellation? This Prime Minister is a good storyteller, but never fails to disappoint on results. For months, we've been calling on him to take action on Keystone XL. The end results are starkly clear. Now, the governor of Michigan wishes to cancel Enbridge's Line 5 easement, which would seriously affect workers and consumers in Ontario and Quebec. And will the government regulate companies like Facebook and Google? It's fairly clear that the government is going to plan some kind of uh, digital tax on uh, the tech giants. It's Thursday, January 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. The government is facing increasing questioning from the opposition about the state of our vaccine plan. What's your sense of, of how it's going, some of the obstacles that Canada has faced in procuring vaccines, and uh, how the public views this? Uh, it does appear that we're getting vaccinated at a slower rate than people in other countries, uh, uh, but the government insists that everything is still on track. Right. I mean, it, it seems to be uh, sort of blind optimism on the government's part, so but, but but when you because when you look at it there is uh, there's not a lot of good news around for them you know Pfizer cancelled shipments next week and reduced deliveries next month because of this plant expansion in, in Belgium uh, the EU has warned it might impose controls on drug exports there's these embarrassing new details about the uh, the abortive deal with the Chinese vaccine maker and then there's this uh, you know Canadian manufacturers running around saying that they weren't getting any support from the government for a made in Canada vaccine. So, you know, there was nothing there really that should be grounds for optimism. We're starting to see a real slowdown in the delivery of vaccines. We were in the top 10 of, of uh, in the league table of countries when you rank them by doses administered per 100 people. Now we're number 20. And we're seeing, we're being overtaken by countries like uh, Germany, Spain and Italy. <clears throat> you know, last Sunday only 15,000 Canadians got, got doses. So there's a lot of bad news around there for the government, yet Justin Trudeau is still maintaining that things are on track. The, the public seems to me to be dubious about that. I mean, I think public expectations are, are higher than than the, the government's uh, than how the government is performing right now. You know, particularly when they look to see what's happening in the U.S., uh, where Pfizer, for example, is still pumping out lots of product from a, a plant in Kalamazoo, which is 200 kilometers from the Canadian border. Yep, right. We're getting ours from Europe. Yeah. And uh, it may not be guaranteed. But, and I think there is a very big but here, maybe the Prime Minister knows something that we don't. And I think the government has been hinting at this in the past few days. Anita Anand, the Procurement Minister, released projections uh, that suggested up to 23 million Canadians, or 61% of the population, which would cover just about everybody over 35 who wants to get a vaccination, could be vaccinated by the end of June if new vaccines currently under review are authorised. Mm. And that seems to me to be a pretty big hint that good news is on its way. We, we know that Johnson & Johnson 
is expected to deliver clinical trial results next week. Canada has a contract for 38 million doses of Johnson & Johnson, and it's a single-dose vaccine. If that or the AstraZeneca vaccine are approved by Health Canada and start flowing pretty soon, then Canada's looking okay, and I think there are grounds for optimism. And it seems to me that the government knows that some good news is coming, because otherwise there will be a lot more doom and gloom, it would seem. Right. All right, let's turn to the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, Speaking of doom and gloom, for some people who wanted this project to go ahead, uh, what are the government's options now after the Biden administration has effectively cancelled the project? Uh, What does Justin Trudeau do next? Uh, Alberta, of course, is suggesting we mount some offensive to to win it back in some way, but that seems unlikely. So what are are Justin Trudeau's options now? Well, I think that that, you know, I mean, Basically, Jason Kenney, the, the Alberta Premier, was left uh, with no options. I mean, he, he has invested a billion dollars of taxpayers' money in this uh, in Keystone, offered another six million dollars, uh, six billion dollars in, in uh, loan guarantees. You know, when Biden put out an executive order saying the permits were cancelled, he's not left with many options. He said it was a gut punch and uh, blustered about taking uh, action against the U.S. Well, that is not going to happen. I mean, I think the, the the Prime Minister is realistic and he knows that he can't do much on Keystone. But he knows there are other things that he can do things on. And I think chief among them is Buy American, uh, the Buy American policy, which would be more or less protectionist and, and uh, ensure that uh, government contracts are awarded to American companies. Now, that is uh, a much slower-moving process. It's not all going to happen through executive order. It's something which probably has to go before Congress. It allows Canada time to lobby, to present a case, perhaps to craft a deal the same way that uh, Stephen Harper and Barack Obama did in 2010. You know, At that time, both countries were, were unveiling large stimulus packages post-financial uh, crisis. And they more or less agreed to grant each other's companies access to those packages. So it was a, a, a sort of special deal, an exemption for Canada. <clears throat> and it seemed to work very well. So it seems to me that while Keystone is gone, there are other things that the government can propose that are in its favour. I mean, I do think that they, that uh, Trudeau can turn to, to Biden and say, you owe me, because that's a pretty big hit to take on day one. Yeah. And not to turn around and go, you know, Right, we're, we're going to impose sanctions against you as a result. And the one other big one for, for the government is Line 5, which is a, a, a Canadian pipeline that, that just happens to go through Michigan and has gone through Michigan for 60-odd years. But the governor of Michigan now wants to uh, to close it down, and that would be disastrous for, for Canada. It supplies 540,000 barrels a day to Ontario every day, uh, and all of the jet fuel that, is, that uh, Pearson Airport gets is refined at a refinery in Sarnia and comes from Line 5. You know, that would be an absolute disaster for, for, right. for not only for, for, <laughs> for Ontario, but for Canada. And obviously, the, you know, the vote-rich province that Trudeau relies on to win. So I think you could expect him to fight like a coroner Wolverine on that one. And I think he would try and enlist Joe Biden's help on that. It just so happens that the governor of Michigan was uh, the uh, the uh, co-chair of Biden's inauguration campaign, hmm. so he does yeah. he does carry some weight there. 
you know, there are other areas I think that the, 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 the Canadian government can lobby Biden for on the understanding that right. uh, that he owes his one. All right, let's talk about social media companies, technology companies like Google and Facebook. Uh, the government has been advised to set up an agency to regulate them. Uh, is this something that you think the Trudeau government will consider, or are they going to take a different approach? What are the options here uh, in terms of addressing the growing power of these companies? Well, I think it's it's fairly clear that the government is going to plan some kind of uh, digital tax on uh, on the the tech giants, you know, the finance department said as much after the uh, the, the uh, fiscal update. So, uh, you know, this is it remains to be seen how this all plays out because obviously the uh, the organisation of economic uh, cooperation and development is trying to work out a common approach across a number of companies to come up with uh, how do you deal with with Google and Facebook to make sure that they pay their fair share of taxes. Canada is party to that agreement, but but it's taking a long time to coordinate everybody. And Canada has said it will go it alone if if um, coordinated action isn't, isn't forthcoming. So it does look like in the budget there will be some kind of, of new tax. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the government has, has clearly signaled that it's that it's um, it's had enough. It, it, it doesn't like seeing these companies earn so much money and not pay any tax on them. Yeah, it's, it feels that there's no regulation of them and, and they're gonna they're gonna move on it all right we'll see what happens john thank you so much for joining us today great thanks mark that is john iveson from the national post over the past seven years, I have defended the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, including to American Democrats, and have continued to every step of the way. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Stephen Van Dyne and Carl Salgo argue a royal commission is needed after the Keystone cancellation. They write, Royal commissions have a long history of contributing to public policy discussion in Canada, and can be the impetus for major policy initiatives. In recent years, Canadian governments have been less inclined to mandate these kinds of commissions. This is a shame, because they can be excellent instruments of public governance. A royal commission into Canada's safe transition to a green economy could be the fork in the road we need to take right now. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne makes the case for why the Governor-General matters. Coyne writes... Suppose the Conservatives win a plurality of seats in an election. They might take power, only to be unseated by an opposition coalition. Or the Liberals might attempt to carry on, with the support of one or more of the other parties. The potential for conflict is evident. In such a crisis, we will need a Governor-General with the judgment to make the right call. We will need someone capable of protecting the constitutional order from political vandals. It's a serious job. It's time... We had a serious person in it. In the Toronto Star, Hassan Youssef and Bernie M. Farber call on labor and anti-hate activists to unite to confront white supremacy. They write, Labor movements have played fundamental roles in organizing against racist forces. When we faced the rise of the white supremacist Heritage Front, the labor movement provided anti-hate advocates with resources to rally against them. Today, we see a resurgence in far-right activity. The labor movement, in solidarity with groups like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, is integral in the effort to educate people about the danger of white supremacy. 
Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Parliamentary Budget Officer will release another set of costings of legislation today. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on his website, the Parliamentary Budget Officer, Yves Giroux, will release three different costings for recent government initiatives. Two of them are particularly interesting. The first concerns the government changes in December to the Canada Emergency Business Account, or CBA. The federal government announced it was going to add another $20,000 to the $40,000 in loans already made available to almost 800,000 Canadian small and medium-sized businesses. That will bring the total amount of aid under this program to those businesses hurt by the pandemic to $60,000. The second thing the PBO will weigh in on is the Trudeau government's commitment in the throne speech to plant 2 billion new trees across the country over the next 10 years. The government calls that measure essential for Canada reaching its greenhouse gas emissions targets and says it will cost about $3.16 billion dollars. So, Mark, it'll be interesting to see what price tag the Parliamentary Budget Officer puts on that government program. Thanks, Martin. Also today, an interview with the Prime Minister will air on CTV's The Social. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will take part in a virtual panel discussion about tax fairness. She will also attend question period before taking part in a virtual roundtable with members of the Surrey Board of Trade and the South Asian Business Association of British Columbia as part of the government's pre-budget consultations. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett, and Health Minister Patty Haidu will hold a news conference following the second national dialogue addressing anti-Indigenous racism in Canada's healthcare system. Official Languages Minister Melanie Jolie will take part in a virtual news conference to announce an investment in official languages in Nova Scotia. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will be part of a news conference about taking profits out of long-term care. He will also speak during a virtual rally about the Canada Pharmacare Act. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, January the 28th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.